Hey everyone and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. The world is absolutely buzzing with the launch of an open AI product called ChatGPT. The product allows you to type in a request to the chatbot who will complete a task that you ask it to or answer whatever question you might have. There has been a lot of hyperbole early on about just how powerful this is to the point that I was a little dismissive when I was reading all of it, but my mind has been blown by some of the examples that have been shared. For example, Frederick Bessie asked the bot to create a virtual machine and the dang chatbot built out a virtual machine complete with a file system, one that could spin up Docker containers, and according to Jonas DeGrave, actually performed some actions faster than he could achieve on his own personal laptop. I've seen some examples of the bot instantly completing competitive market analysis, uh, writing songs based off of like a topic that someone suggested, and poems on given topics, and more. Really incredible stuff. I haven't been able to try it yet myself because the system had been overloaded, but I'm looking forward to it. Now, of course, there are others who are warning that there's limitations and there's been some even uh, criticism, I think, from Shane Hanselman, who was saying that, well, this thing is feeding off of a lot of effort and information that people have put into things like Stack Overflow for years. So, you know, they're repurposing people's efforts using this bot, but... Hey, I think that's kind of how things were going to go. Epson have announced they will stop producing laser jet printers in 2026. Epson's announcement said that its decision to focus completely on inkjet printers over laser ones is about the planet. Ars Technica reported that this is largely based on how laser printers work compared to inkjet. Laser printers rely on a laser, drum, toner, and heat to print an image. Inkjet printers, meanwhile, use nozzles to deposit ink. In a blog post, Epson stated, quote, While laser printers work by heating and fusing toner to a page, Epson's heat-free inkjet technology consumes less electricity by using mechanical energy to fire ink onto the page. End quote. Interestingly, in a blog post last year, Epson said that in a comparison, one of its inkjet business printers used up to 85% less power and created 85% less carbon dioxide than one of its laser printers when printing 20 pages. The report also states that inkjet printers also have fewer parts, so therefore, I mean, that's better for the planet too by having fewer parts and fewer parts that have to be replaced using less plastic and all those kinds of materials. 
BleepyComputer.com reported this week that Microsoft have acknowledged an issue caused by the November Windows updates that leads to issues with ODBC connections, which in some cases will fail to connect to databases via connections using the Microsoft ODBC SQL Server Driver, which is obviously very widely used. So, you know, causing database connections to drop is a very, very bad thing. And this is specifically using the SQL SRV32.dll for the connections. This known issue impacts both client and server Windows platforms from Windows 7 SP1 and Windows Server 2008 SP2 up to the latest releases of Windows 11 and Server 2022. Microsoft have stated that they're currently working on a resolution with a hope to release more information soon. And bleepcomputer.com has shared how you could figure out uh, what applications or processes are using this ODBC driver, which is using task list uh, slash M SQL SRV32 DLL. Sophos published a blog this week on a brand new zero day vulnerability announced in Google Chrome. This is now the ninth Chrome zero day of 2022. And I just reported on the eighth one last week. The Sophos article calls out the fact that Google do not share much information, which I also mention every single time I'm covering Google Chrome vulnerabilities. And once again, with this zero day vulnerability, there's not a whole lot of technical information to share. Uh, but you can update to the latest version of Chrome to be patched against this new zero-day vulnerability. Citrix and AWS announced availability of Citrix DAS on AWS, including DAS standard for AWS. It is now available via the AWS Marketplace, and they say that Citrix DAS, powered by their HDX protocol, guarantees a great user experience and reliable AWS EC2 instances support for the virtual work solution. They say the new Citrix and AWS offering will ensure customers can swiftly scale up and out on demand, all while delivering the features and experience Citrix DAS users have come to expect. There are monthly and annual billing options available, so you can scale, you know, maybe for peak and off peak seasons if that suits your business needs. Also Citrix related, but Citrix released an update to Citrix Workspace app to address a security concern raised by Mimi Katz Benjamin Delphi, who reported that the SSO feature, the single sign-on feature in the Workspace app, was storing sensitive information in user-level process memory that could be intercepted to gain username and passwords. And this affects those with the SSON enabled feature on domain register devices only. Citrix has released an updated version of Citrix Workspace app for Windows with fixes in place to provide protection for standard users against passwords being stolen from user level process memory without admin level privileges. Benjamin Delpy followed up again after this update from Citrix to implore Citrix to please stop capturing the credentials at all as part of their SSO feature. I guess since he clearly has the attention of Citrix, that maybe they will take this on board as well since they already tried to address his earlier concerns. So I guess we'll wait and see. The Microsoft Detection and Response Team recently warned that attackers are increasingly using token theft to circumvent multi-factor authentication. 
eSecurityPlanet.com suggests this is particularly concerning as they noted because the attack technique does not require significant expertise and it's difficult to detect and few organizations are watching out for it. This is interesting as it's another factor to consider with MFA in terms of security as well as the well-publicized issue of MFA fatigue, just overwhelming users by generating uh, so many different MFA requests that they just approve it to make it stop. Thanks to Jeremy Moskowitz for sharing this next one, uh, who pointed out that Microsoft is now offering the ability to link an Azure Active Directory work account and a personal Microsoft account or an MSA. And with this change, AAD users with a linked MSA account can now earn Microsoft Rewards points for Microsoft Bing searches done in their browser or Windows search box while signed in with their AAD account. This expanded rewards eligibility was made based on user feedback, apparently. (laughs) I don't know who was asking for this. Um, The ability to link accounts will be enabled by default, so account linking is available to an organization's employees, but still requires employees to opt in. The choice to link accounts is in an employee's hands, and they need to take action to connect their AAD and MSA accounts. Account linking will not change any group policies. Uh, Personal and work searches will not be linked, and there is no change to how searches are stored. Microsoft's principles for data security and privacy in the enterprise still hold, which ensures that confidential organizational information, including search history, will not be collected on AAD accounts even after accounts are linked. Microsoft will not collect any new data for targeted advertising as a result of this change, which I don't really understand this. I don't know how they can do that if the accounts are being linked and what you're searching when using your AAD account will count towards your personal MSA's uh, reward points. Like there's got to be some um, cross-pollination of sorts, I guess, or at least Microsoft will be able to uh, pool that data together if they'd want to. Just my opinion. Apparently, administrator control is already available via PowerShell right now, uh, but the account linking will be enabled no earlier than December 11th and will honor the enabled disabled settings that are available. For enterprises with account linking enabled, employees with an AAD and MSA account can opt into account linking through entry points such as Edge and Microsoft Bing. And when account linking is enabled, employees won't need to switch between their MSA and AAD accounts to earn Microsoft rewards, which helps with employee productivity by keeping employees signed in with their AAD accounts. Where employees really just going in as their own personal accounts just to get the rewards. I didn't know that the rewards thing was so popular. I don't know if it really is. <laughs> I just don't get it. Um, you could turn off account linking defaults using the PowerShell script that Microsoft has provided, which needs to be run by December 11th. After December 11th, you could turn off account linking in the Microsoft 365 admin center. Employees would be able to enable or disable account linking from profile preferences in Edge settings, the Microsoft Start Management Experience, and Bing Identity Control. Like I've already said, I just don't understand it. They're claiming there was user feedback demand for this. I just don't get it. And some quick hit stories now to wrap up the news. Apple have announced they will be adding end-to-end encryption to iCloud backups. 
This should be available by the end of the year for those in the U.S. and early next year for those outside the U.S. Also mentioned by The Verge regarding Apple is support for physical FIDO keys. It continues to be interesting though that both Apple and Google position FIDO keys as for those who require extra protection such as public figures. It seems kind of off when FIDO keys are so cheap now. Uh, maybe it's simply framed that way just due to the fact that it adds maybe a level of complexity or technical complexity for some people. Like just for me personally, getting friends and family to use a password manager has been an uphill battle. So I can only imagine the difficulty in getting them to use like a physical key. Microsoft have announced Windows 365 now supports a geography option for cloud PC region selection. This allows you to place the cloud PC automatically into the best available sub-region, making provisioning easier and more reliable. And I'm happy about this because I select to provision my cloud PC into West Europe, but it ends up uh, being hosted in the Netherlands, uh, which I found out from my buddy Niall Brady, who lives in Sweden, that if he provisions to North Europe, his PCs end up in Ireland. So <laughs> I was going to try provisioning to North Europe to see if mine ends up in Ireland, but it looks like I should be able to hopefully get it here with these subregions. Cameo announced this week that they are now supporting Linux applications. So if you have a need to publish Linux applications for remote access purposes, Cameo is now in play for you. Just a final reminder that the final Cloud Paging User Group Meetup online is going to be held this Friday, December 9th at 2 p.m. GMT time, which I believe is 9 a.m. Eastern for those in the U.S. And it's going to include a discussion around automating application packaging and delivery. And we'll also talk about uh, things related to the actual user group for next year and what people want to see. So if you're interested in automating your application packaging and delivery efforts in your enterprise, uh, this is one that you'll want to join. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. First up, Nicholas Wynn was featured on AdamTheAutomator.com recently on a blog post about getting started with the Raspberry Pi imager for Windows. So I personally use uh, Rufus for creating some bootable media, uh, but this seems like a pretty cool option too. Arish Sarkari published a blog on creating a custom Windows 11 Enterprise plus Microsoft 365's app's golden image for Windows 365 Cloud PC using the Marketplace image. And this is done achieving PowerShell. And I believe I shared my own blog post a few months ago around basically doing the same thing, but I was using PowerShell, ARM templates, and a little bit of RPA too. So cool to see this community is growing in terms of uh, Windows 365 Cloud PC. And I'll share links to both of those blogs I just mentioned and everything I talked about on this episode as I do every episode. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com and in the description field for this episode on your podcast platform of choice. I saw Swift on Security was in a discussion on Twitter this week talking about the importance of backing up your domain controllers. With a tip, back up your domain controllers. Shodan tweeted out an evergreen tip, which is that you can quickly check if your IP is exposing anything to the internet by visiting 
me.shodan.io and if it returns a 404, that means nothing was found. And that is obviously your public IP address. It's essentially using the me and searching with your public IP address. You can also do this programmatically if you'd like with the curl command, uh, but using HTTPS colon slash slash internet Yusuf Dikmeniklu tweeted a heads up to pay attention to a feature within Azure Active Directory uh, where you can have an option to allow users to create Azure AD tenants. Um, just suggesting that, hey, you know, you probably don't want all users to be able to create Azure AD tenants. So pay attention to that option. Dean Ellerby published a blog on how to enable Windows 11 config lock on secured core PCs. So this is essentially um, locking and being able to monitor configuration changes on Windows 11. And David Brook published a blog on Windows 365 and specifically the Graph API and PowerShell basics. And finally, the awesome Tim Mangan published a white paper on the installed location virtualization setting or configuration or feature, I'm not sure how to frame that, within MSIX. And he states that this can help with compatibility. And you should check out Tim's white paper to learn more. I believe this is an undocumented setting, but now it's documented by Tim, who just continues to be the best resource when it comes to MSIX and, of course, also AppV. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.